0: Get up on your feet, get your hands together because your favorite wrestling superhero is joining us today. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Shane Helms. Hi, Shane. Uh,
1: Hey, how you doing? I appreciate the three count reference right off the bat.
0: I know. I was like, you know, I want to start off this interview fun. And I was like, how can I go about that? And then I was watching some of your clips and I saw the three count one and I was like, perfect. I'll pull a line from there. And I was like, I just hope, I just hope he sees where I'm going with this.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's, (laughs) it's, It's amazing that three count gimmick. We only did that for nine months in 2000, the year 2000. And to this day, every single day on a my social media on one of my accounts. Somebody will mention Three Count in some regard.
0: What does that make you think, like you you're, like you're said, like this was, what, like now 20 years ago and people are <laughs> still talking about it. What does that say to you about the, the character that maybe you didn't get at the time?
1: Uh, just It made more of an impact than I thought it was going to, for sure you know, for definitely, that wasn't my style of music. I grew up on hip hop. So uh, that was the hardest part of that gimmick was, you know, singing those boy band songs <laughs> and stuff like that. <laughs> it wasn't the dancing, you know, Uh I, I could cut a rug if I needed to, uh, but that gimmick we actually didn't need to, you know what I'm saying? But uh, right. I just really didn't know like it would last that long in people's memory, but yeah, it sure has.
0: So being in, so what you're saying is three count never swayed you to even get near any of the boy band stuff. <laughs>
1: No, no. The the closest I got to that was we actually we actually played a charity basketball game against some of the uh, Backstreet Boys. I believe it was the Backstreet Boys. No, Backstreet Boys, in sync. Yeah, it was the Backstreet Boys. It was like the Tampa Bay Lightning, and uh, some WCW guys and the Backstreet Boys. We did a charity basketball game.
0: Wow, that's so awesome! I grew up a Backstreet Boys fan, so like I'm freaking out internally. Uh, what were your initial thoughts when the when this was pitched? When the idea was pitched to you?
1: Uh, I just said yes to everything. <laughs> didn't, uh, you know, uh, I was. Um, we'd had a we had a tryout. Me and Shannon Moore had a tryout match in WCW, and Jimmy Hart came right up. So it was Jimmy Hart's idea, and he had already had this idea in his mind. He just needed two guys to do it because he had Evan Courageous in mind. Evan Courageous was already under WCW contract. And um, so he just came up to me, and uh, Shannon was kind of standing over there in the distance. And he came up to me because I had better clothes, which is the hilarious part wow. of it. Wow. Shannon was just in a grunge phase. Like, he, Shannon had just better clothes than I did, but just that particular day, he was wearing, like, a sh- you know, a football jersey with holes in it or some shit. It was, you know, just kind of – he wasn't dressed up, <laughs> right? And so Jimmy was asking me. He goes, "Man, you know we can get you some money for your partner here to get some clothes." And I just started laughing. I'm like, "No, nah, he's got clothes." But he told me the concept, and uh, he goes, "Can you sing?" And I'm like, "Yeah." <laughs> can you? Did dance? you
0: really know how, or were you just like, "I'm just gonna say yeah. yes to everything"?
1: <laughs> I was gonna say yes no matter what. Like I was a singer in chorus in middle school.
0: Oh wow! I, okay. I was
1: I was a tenor, and but once my voice dropped it just became chaos and I couldn't no longer hear. I don't, I'm not even sure I could hear a tone when I was a tenor. I just kind of sounded okay. But when my voice dropped that low, that fast, I just lost all, you know, I couldn't sing anymore. But,
0: <laughs> did but you I could ever, dance.
1: So I had that part.
0: So Okay. So at least you had one of those things down, but did you ever sort of have any apprehension towards it?
1: Um. I mean, maybe because, you know, I was an amateur wrestler, you know, I was an amateur wrestler for seven years. I got a bunch of gold medals. So, it wasn't like in my life plan to be a boy band out there. You know, I wanted to be Ric Flair. I wanted to be Randy Savage. (laughs) I wasn't wasn't planning on that, but I saw it as an opportunity. You know, if I can uh, pass this test, maybe there'll be other opportunities. And I mean, that's the same way I looked at the Hurricane character when it was presented to me. I was like, I never envisioned myself being in a cape and mask either, yet here I am. So I got to make this work. uh, That's how I looked at pretty much all my life's challenges. How do I make this work no matter what?
0: And I honestly really think you did that. And you know, it's every kid's dream to grow up and become a superhero. And you got to be the Hurricane for for you know years and years. So, what would you say? I know this is a broad question, but what would you say are some of your proudest moments looking back at, at your career as the Hurricane?
1: I mean, I just got to work with you know I, I turned uh, my idols into my peers. You know, that's the biggest thing you can do. That's one of the biggest compliments. You know, I mean, I you know, Ric Flair was my guy in North Carolina, I was a Ric Flair man, so for me to wrestle him on Monday Night Raw, or in the opening match at WrestleMania in front of 83,000 people, you know, just to be in the ring with Flair, to be in the ring with Matt and Jeff and Shannon, you know, guys that I came up with on the road when we weren't making no money, you know, $20 a night sleeping in our cars and stuff like that, but to finally be able to perform on big stages you know, moments like being in the ring and watching The Undertaker walk to the ring to come in and whoop my ass, which is what <laughs> happened. But just to be in those moments, you know, and uh, there's all these different little things. I, I really got lucky in the terms of opportunities that were presented my way. You know, it was my talent that made the, the best of those opportunities. But the opportunities were definitely, you know, I had a little bit of fortune and uh, fate on my side, I guess.
0: And here's the thing, though, is that we don't see the the superhero gimmick being done a lot in American wrestling. So to be that person to make it work for himself, what does that mean to you?
1: I mean, I take great pride in it. You know, they tried it was tried here and there. I don't think anybody actually called themselves superhero, but you can definitely tell in terms of a blue blazer or something like that, a guy like that. Um, and anytime a wrestler in America had a mask, they did in WWF a couple times back in the day with Battle Cat, uh, maybe Max Moon, you know, so they would kind of dabble on the fringe fringes of it. Uh, but WWF at the time had a writer named Brian Gerwitz and Brian had always had this idea for just let's do a superhero. Let's do a character and call him a superhero, call it what it is and see what happens. And, Along comes Shane Helms, and I got the Green Lantern tattoo. I'm wearing comic book shirts every day. It's like, this might be the guy. And you were the
0: perfect one to go ahead and do that.
1: Yeah, and I committed to it, too. Like, that that gimmick could have easily went sideways. Yeah. And, I, you know, I, I tell this story. Um, I remember walking down the hall that first night in that outfit, and th- I didn't have a good outfit in the beginning. It was just, there was a little H on my chest, kind of in stylized, There was a little hurricane symbol right on my butt, which is the weirdest (laughs) place to put that symbol. You know, uh, I didn't have a mask yet. They had given me a Lone Ranger mask, like from a cheap Halloween, just little black Lone Ranger mask. And like, this was the first uh, creative conversation I'd ever had with Vince was when I saw that mask. So I went to Vince and I don't know him all that well, you know, I just know he's the boss and you know who he is, of course, but I don't know him on any kind of personal conversational level. But I go to him and I go, uh, you know, I don't think this mask is going to work. You don't want to wear a mask. <laughs> you know, he's immediately questioning, the, you know, um, my dedication to the gimmick. So I go, no, no, I'll, I'll wear a mask, but I just don't think this mask will work. You know, this thing's going to fall off in 10 seconds and then it's going to look like I don't care. And he goes, and he appreciated that. So he knew what my head was at. And he goes, well, what about makeup? <laughs> and my, this is my favorite part too. I go, like the road warriors? And he goes, like the ultimate warrior.
0: <laughs> oh, I, go, wow.
1: I go, okay, like the ultimate warrior. Then. And so um, he told me to go to the makeup lady. So like for the first couple of months, I actually had this really cool makeup design that the makeup lady would do. On the live events, house shows, I'd have to do the makeup myself and it looked like a child did it. But uh, but anyway, so like I say, the first day, the first night is a gimmick, I'm walking down the hall. I got that terrible outfit on. I got this makeup all over my face and you can see some of the guys looking at me and they like, <laughs> they're
0: like, They're like glad we're not that guy. <laughs>
1: yeah. We're glad we're not doing this. And even my friends, some of the ones that like, you know, they were, they had my back and they were supporting me. Nobody really knew if this was going to work or not, you know, but, um, You know, I just had to put everything. I knew that there was a thin line between the hurricane for the hurricane. I knew there was a thin line between Batman and Doink the Clown. If I lean too much toward Doink the Clown, it's not gonna work. But I can't try to be too cool either because they'll turn on me. So I have really had to like walk that line to make it work.
0: And that's really hard because sometimes you can think you're going about it the right way. And maybe you're, maybe it comes across differently to the audiences. And you know, you mentioned that a character like the Hurricane could have easily gone south. And we have seen a lot of failed characters throughout wrestling. <laughs> what, do you, what do you think it takes for a guy to take a character that he's been given uh, and really make it work?
1: Commitment. I mean, and so you have to be a, a decent actor, you know, you ha- see, the thing was, the character wasn't that I was a superhero. Is that what I, be- it was that I believed I was. That was the character. That's the deeper psychological aspect of that character. I didn't go out there in the ring and have superpowers. I didn't have laser beams. I couldn't turn invisible, but I believed that I could, and so for me- for me to make the audience believe, I had to believe myself. So that's when you got to be a, a kind of a good actor to do that, because you have to commit yourself to that character. And then you got to take everything. And this is uh, something I try to implement when I do seminars. And uh, you know, a younger talent wants to do a gimmick character like that. Everything has to match the entrance music, the way I walk to the ring, the crazy hurricane talk, which no superhero talks like that. No superhero talks like I did. I don't even know why I did that. You know, it just <laughs> kind of what came to mind. Like I said, I knew I needed to be a little bit comedy, but I couldn't be too cool either. So, you just have to make everything work. Everything needed to complement each other. Like they had, they had me a cool little hip hop beat uh, when I came to the ring at first. Hip hop's my thing, but it didn't fit that character. So I had to go to production. I was like, "Can y'all get me something you know, like Superman type music?" And that's when. Uh, They came up with the entrance music and the stand back and all of that. You know, the way I walked, I tried to walk like how a superhero might or how somebody who believed he was a superhero might. It's just really all about commitment.
0: That's really awesome, and you know, I think that you know, obviously, growing up and watching you work was, you know, you you felt like you felt like this connection towards you, where it's like, okay, yeah, he believes he's a superhero, so it was almost sort of like endearing in a sort of way. Yeah. Uh, but one of my favorite memories, and I know that you've probably heard this a lot, was obviously all the work that you did with The Rock. In particularly, mm-hmm. my, one of my favorite promos is the one when you guys, where you're making fun of The Rock's dingling, and he calls you 100 <laughs> pounds of nothing, and nothing calls, yeah. and he says he knows. you. Uh, it's funny because even to this day like I use those lines from those promos into like my daily life when I'm trolling someone it's like just something that sort of stays with you Um, but what did it mean like to you to work like that with the rock and how do you think it sort of uh, changed your career
1: I mean it was just an opportunity like I talked about opportunities uh, earlier Uh, it was only gonna be this wasn't a long thought-out plan at all it was gonna be one night in Toronto Uh, there was a battle royal later in the night and so to kind of set that set that up they needed some interaction with the rock so uh, the writers picked me and I was going to go in there we was going to have this one interaction maybe we did some stuff in the battle royal that was it that was the only thing on paper that was ever supposed to happen but that backstage segment segment with the rock went so well when he called me that's the one we called me Hamburglar, right and you know, and then I told him uh, how Brandon Fraser beat the Scorpion King and all of that. And, and when I flew off, Rock's looking up in the air, like watching me fly. He just, he just played off of it so well. Rock was a big fan of the character. If, if he wasn't, it never would have happened.
0: You could tell, too. You could yeah. really tell, like, that chemistry watching all of those clips. You can really tell that you guys are really bouncing off of each other.
1: Yeah, we were having a blast. And so, later on that night, uh, in the Battle Royal, The Rock's going over there. He's like punching this guy, I'm punching this guy. But when he comes to me, I start firing back on him. And when I start firing back, the crowd in Toronto just really comes. And you can hear it, and as a performer, you can feel it. And I was like, man, that was really cool, you know? And afterward, I was like, man, I hope creative noticed that. Because they don't always notice everything. You know, it's hard when you're in that truck and you got these headphones on, it's hard to hear the audience sometimes. You know, when you're, or when you're in gorilla position, I should say, and you got these headphones on, you can't really hear the audience all that well. But luckily they did. And so that led to another promo and another promo and another promo. And uh, the one you're talking about with the phone, that was actually my line. I gave him that because he was going to oh, call me. Oh, did you really?
0: Yeah, he was going <laughs> to call me. I love that five, line.
1: He, I was five foot nothing, a hundred pounds of nothing. And that was it. And so I asked him, did he have his phone? And he, so, I, And I gave him that line because... I was getting the rub here. I just wanted this segment to be as best as it could. So if I can give him, help him out with a line that people are going to remember, which they yeah they did. I've heard that one for years, for years, <laughs> I've heard that one. So that really worked. And that was, I don't even remember what years ago that was, 2004, 2003, something like that. But, um, and then that was my idea to be in the closet too. Cause I was going to fly in, uh, fly into that segment, like always, but just, we're kind of looking around, you know, uh, I mean, I was looking around at the surroundings and just, it popped in my head. I was like, Hey, what if I actually was in that closet the whole time and you could see rock light up, he could say, Oh, that's fantastic. And so then I was going to like initially jump out right away, but he, he, it was his idea to close the curtain back on it and be like, nah, I didn't see that shit. That's not he's not in there. <laughs> and then I popped out. I said, like, Man, he's incredibly creative too. It was just, it was a blast. I'm sure you can tell by the way. Yes
0: and so even like even like the fact that you guys added the whole implementation of having you be in the closet it just made it so much better because you know you guys used that and played off of that which i think was really really uh really really great to be honest and, and like you said it's something that people remember so you mentioned that you know sometimes you don't always know what creative thinks of something that you guys have tried what sort of feedback did you get from you know the beginning of the hurricane to you know once you started doing more as the, as the character evolved what sort of feedback were you getting from creative
1: I was getting a lot of po- positive feedback you know I mean but two it was one of those characters were where guys in creative that were the most serious wrestlers and there are quite a few of them they didn't get it and they kind of put a ceiling on it so some in creative loved it some did not and I think that's the battle for most people you know <laughs> very right. few, very few guys does everybody just universally love you know I mean, once you get over, they all love you. And they all claim that they always loved you, but that's never the case. Um, But, you know, I had a lot of supporters and I had a lot of detractors, and that's just kind of the battle you wage.
0: That's really awesome. So now, obviously, you've also had roles as a producer, most recently with WWE. What was that transition like for you to sort of, you know, go from being an on screen character to sort of taking a behind the scenes role?
1: it wasn't hard at all because I've always helped people, you know, no matter what I would help people with, um, I mean, t-shirt slogans, uh, I would help people out with moves. I would give people moves, give people finishers, help create, help them create finishers. So I was always in that creative mindset. You know, I, I actually got better for a while at creating other stuff for people. Like I, when it came to me, I would have this writer's block, but for other people I could just create anything. Um, and so in, in WWE, you know, uh, even in my first run, they let me produce a segment one time. I know I would listen, I would get on headset a lot and just listen and see how, what the production truck was saying. And I was really kind of fascinated. I've always been fascinated about how the whole show is put together anyway. And so, um, you know, I got a run in TNA as a producer and I really like that. Uh, even with Ara Lucha, I was a- tr- Right, very- I remember that. I was there to, that, it, that was fun. You know, I kind of taught them uh, what a producer does, and then they didn't bring me back. <laughs> they, they say, hey, we want you to come in here and train these guys, and they'll never bring you back. Um, <laughs> but uh, I really have fun with Everlucha, too. I really like that company. Um, but, yeah, but the, the producer thing, and, the, and the, they brought me down to the performance center to be a trainer, and I could definitely be a trainer, no doubt, but I feel like my strength is in a creative producer uh, type scenario. So
0: now you mentioned that obviously one of your favorite things about doing the producer type stuff is that you know you've all it's always been natural to you to give other people or help other people with ideas but what would you say were some of the challenges that you faced
1: when uh, they don't (laughs) want to listen what do you
0: do with that like what do you do
1: well i've been there i've been that younger talent that when uh, you know one of the older guys come to me I, i might not quite have gotten it but at least i was a guy who listened you know now We're in the Twitter age, and I feel like a lot of talents, they just, they like to gripe, they like to complain, you know, they like to talk with them thumbs. But I think that's just a part of being young, you know. Once uh, the talents that know me and trust me, and I was very fortunate, a lot of talents did know me and trust me, you know, they're they're really easy to work with. And I go, okay, well, I'm going to give it a shot, even if I don't believe it works. And that's really all I ask, generally, if there's any kind of, uh, if they don't think it is worse, generally, me, I generally go, okay, well, let's just give it a shot just one time. If it don't work, hey, I'm fine. I will understand. But it generally does. You know, I have been around the block quite a bit. Right, <laughs> right. Um. So, but that's the only challenges. But I, I understand those challenges, you know, and um, it, it, it can be difficult because it's a thankless job. If the match goes to hell, the producer gets to blame. If the match is great, the talents get all the credit. So, so weird. Yeah, you kind of get paid. Just to hear people complain a lot. You know, that's the difficult part of the job.
0: You're like, when is my moment going to come? Like, I had some <laughs> input in all of this. So, obviously, you got to work with a lot of WWE talent. Who are some of the guys that you consider yourself a fan of?
1: Oh, man, I'm a fan of everybody. If you talk about the new crop, the people I like working with the most, I mean, I worked with Rey Mysterio a lot. And he was a guy like, no matter what crazy idea I came up with, I knew he could do it. Uh, Cesaro was another guy. And I would go, hey, this might sound crazy, but I think you can do it. And he, and he would be like, okay, let me hear it. You know, <laughs> I like the, I like working with Mojo Raleigh a lot.
0: You know, like oh, and so fight. much, so much energy.
1: Oh, the, the most energy. Um, You know, there was a lot of people, you know, I like some guys, some of the guys toward the top of the card, you don't really have to help them as much. And so you kind of just there sometimes. And that is a night off, a night off is okay. I'm not, a, not opposed to that, but you know, I like to kind of be in the mix. You know, some of the funner things that I helped with was the uh, the past Survivor Series, which for the first time ever, it was uh, three teams. Right. And so you kind of had a triple threat going on the entire time. That was a very uh, difficult thing to kind of wrap our head around. But once we got it all together, I think it turned into one of the best uh, Survivor Series matches ever. So I was really proud of that. Um, there's been a lot of good stuff. You know, I just... I like working with creative people. I like people that have so many ideas that we got to throw, you know, 90% of them away. That's, that's a good problem to have. When you got people that come up to me and they're like, Oh, what do you want me to do? That, that's what I don't like. Cause I'm not there to tell you what to do. I'm there to help you be yourself and help you grow as a performer and a star. But that has to start with what you are and who you are and how we can bring that to the screen
0: that's really awesome and I think I think it's even cool that somebody can go and you know not just be a talent you know inside the ring but also be able to contribute so much more uh you know behind the scenes I think is really cool so now being the veteran you know to being the veteran to newer talent around people what would you say with some of the things that you learned from the talent from the younger
1: talent um just, I learned, I was well, I was in the process of learning of how to be a better listener, because I probably wasn't always a good listener when I was a talent. You know, I kind of, I was very focused on what I was doing, you know, and I'm, um, but, you know, you kind of, like I say, you kind of have to be a therapist with, with some talents, you know, because uh, maybe creative isn't treating them right. Maybe creative, you know, like I talked about the creative challenges earlier, right. maybe they're going through these creative challenges and I'm the one that has to come to them and deliver the news of what creative has for them that night. And if it's not good, sometimes you get that blowback and, and you want to say, hey, I didn't write the show. I'm just giving you the information of what we got to do. You know, this is the assignment. How do we make it work? But then you do got to kind of, get, kind of sit back and listen and get their head in the right place and let them get it out. And then once they get it out, like, OK, now can we put this match together? that sort of thing. So, you know, you learn different things. And, I mean, too, uh, I think a good producer knows the roster's uh, offense and they know whether any particular talent – like, I knew just about all the moves for everybody I ever worked with. I knew what they liked to do. I knew what they were good at doing. I knew things that they weren't good at doing that they probably thought were good. And I would kind of sneakily try to go, hey, let's not do that spot tonight, you know, Uh, without saying – uh, you can't throw a good drop kick, cause
0: yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> you, know, you don't want to make them who, feel bad.
1: <laughs> yeah, you don't want to make them feel bad. Sometimes, you know, it's it's a struggle though, because sometimes you want to go, hey, hey, you're an adult, you should be able to process this. Your drop kicks suck. You know, let's not do them anymore. <laughs> but some talents don't want to hear that, so you got to kind of manipulate it a little bit. And just using the drop kick as an example.
0: Right, and one of the things that I noticed too, like in all walks of life, whenever somebody points out something that you're doing wrong, all of a sudden you start like hammering in on that one thing to try to like succeed it. And the next thing you know, everything you were doing right starts going down the drain. So it's like a really uh, fine line of how to handle criticism and how to make it work for you. Um, But switching gears now, I do want to talk about some current topics. And I do want to start off with uh, COVID-19. As you know, it has changed all of our lives. It has changed the industry, every industry out there, like not just wrestling, but focusing on wrestling. How do you think this has impacted the industry? And how do you think that um, even after coronavirus is done, how do you think it will impact the industry then?
1: Um, well, it's, it's been devastating for the industry. It's had a huge negative impact negative impact on the industry. You know, I don't think that's in any doubt whatsoever. Uh, we need an audience. There's no form of sports or entertainment that needs an audience as much as pro wrestling. You know, I can watch basketball. I don't care what the fans are doing. When I watch a football game, I'm not looking at the crowd. I don't care what they're doing. Wrestling, even MMA, I actually prefer MMA, UFC, without without an audience. I can hear what the coaches are yelling. You know, uh, you can kind of hear the impact of some of the strikes a lot better. Uh, MMA without an audience doesn't bother me at all. Pro wrestling, we need that audience because it's a dance. It's a give and take between the performer and that audience, you know. And so we really miss our fans. Now, you know, fortunately, I've always known that, but I think a lot of talents and a lot of people behind the scenes now more than ever are appreciating our fans. So my hope is that once things clear up and we get back to whatever people consider to be normal, like I don't really even know what normal means. I never have. But um, if we things do open up, you know, I want to see a better appreciation for our fans. And I want fans to have a better appreciation for the guys. You know, we missed each other. So, uh, less I hope that when it comes back that there's a big you know thirst for it and uh, that everything just explodes. I think the indie scene is going to be insane once it opens back up. Um, you know guys like myself I you know I, I did well financially so I can sit at home for a couple months and I'm fine. I can sit at home for a couple years and I'm perfectly fine. But I know a lot of indie guys can indie guys men men and women can't and they're just itching not from not only from a financial standpoint but they haven't done it 30 years like I have. You know, I kind of got a lot of stuff out of my system. Right. These younger talents, man, they're itching, man. Some of them right now are in their prime. And when they should be out on the field, they're sitting on the bench and I know it's driving them crazy. Anybody that has that creative mindset, if you can't create, it eats at you. You know, it turns into this weird form of anxiety where you got to go out, you got to do something, but you're trapped in this little cage and the cage is just in here. But that's the most powerful cage that, that exists is the one that's in your mind. So it's driving people crazy. But and so my, my, hopefully once everything's open up, I think we're going to see an explosion of creativity. I think there's going to be a show on about every night of the week at some point. People are just going to be itching to put on shows, to go to shows. So I'm, hoping, I'm very hopeful for the best.
0: Here's the thing is that we were sort of on the precipice of all of this stuff happening. You know, you had AEW, WWE Impact, so many promotions just, you know, ready for that talent, pulling them in. Indies were like hot, you know, especially here in Los Angeles. I can't even tell you how many promotions, how many every single weekend. Uh, multiple days, multiple events in one night. So it really, really, uh really came to a halt, like a really, really bad one. Uh but what do you think is the proper and right way for right now for companies to hold wrestling events so that people whether or not they choose to have fans in the audience or talent so that they can stay safe?
1: Oh, that decision is above my pay grade. That decision is, you know, I'm I, I, I look at it like my family. I'm staying home, you know. I'm not risking my kids for nothing. you know nothing, nothing is as important to me as as my kids. So I'm not doing anything, and I can't tell people what to do. You know, it's weird because we have to plan for life after this as well. You know, you prepare for you prepare for the worst in, in situations like this, but you also have to prepare to go on afterward. So we can't let you know the economy and all this completely shut down. But on the other hand, I'm staying home. I'm looking after my kids. I ain't contributing to nothing. uh, I do not have that answer, and I don't even want to pretend that I do.
0: Right, right. And now we're gonna go ahead and switch uh, switch gears to more of a lighter note. And I want to talk about one of the, uh, I guess you can say latest trends that we have been seeing in wrestling, which is more cinematic matches. What are your thoughts on those given that given that you were previously involved with impact wrestling when they were doing the Matt Hardy storyline? And now, you know, sort of seeing uh, cinematic matches sort of, uh, you know, be done more often?
1: I think it's great, you know. I think it's a different element. I, I think it also runs the risk of being overdone. I don't know if we need to do it a lot. That's not what pro wrestling is. It's something different, but it can be a part of the show for sure. Uh, when we did it in TNA, and all credit to Matt Hardy to Rebby Hardy, who doesn't get the credit she deserves in it. You know, Jeff definitely helped out. You had guys like Jeremy Borash there helping out, uh, and. Two, uh, the head of uh, TNA at the time, John Gaborik, he's the one that had to sign off on it. If he doesn't give it the okay, it doesn't make it to air, right. you know? And we talked about this stuff in production meetings, and I was like, yeah. Uh, you know, and I remember uh, one of the first ones that they were gonna do at Matt and Jeff's, the very first one Matt and Jeff were doing at the home, I was the producer for that. I didn't even go. Really? I, li- I live about 45 minutes, 58 minutes to an hour And it was going to be late Saturday night into the (laughs) a.m. hours is when they were, you know, because uh, Matt was using some of his own money. Matt and Jeff were using some of their own money, some of their own uh, resources, not just financial. I'm talking about Rebby's working for free. She's not getting paid for this. She's just helping out. Uh, They're using all of their resources to put this together. And. It's going to be Father's Day that Sunday, too. So I'm having a conversation with Matt. You know, as a producer, you're really only there for psychology. Not, on, not only psychology, but that's a big part of what I do in a, in an agent for a match. Uh, when I'm an agent for a match, it's just kind of psychology. Well, this ain't going to be a lot of psychology. This is going to be insanity. And so I was on the phone with Matt, and he's telling me all this crazy stuff he's going to do. And I'm listening to it, and I go, just tell him I said it was okay.
0: <laughs> you're like, whatever just that so you got the okay I
1: was like put the well I just took I just took the blame I said put out put it on if it goes bad tell him I said it was okay I was just willing to take the blame for that because I was like sometimes you got to step back and let the artist be the artist you can't micromanage so that was a point if I would have been there trying to micromanage well me and Matt kind of have a similar train uh, train of thought so it would have been a very lackluster micromanagement but I do consider that that was a point where I just go, let me just sit back. You know, I gave him some creative suggestions, of course, because he's my boy, and but that was one of those things where I go, y'all do it, and uh, tell him I said it was okay.
0: I guess it ended up working out definitely all right. And especially like, yeah, like you really not. I think here's the thing, though. A lot of people aren't willing to step back and let somebody else, you know, shine for a moment and let their ideas come forth. So I think that's really, really cool. So now we had the Boneyard match. We had the Firefly Funhouse match. We had the money in the bank at the corporate offices. Uh, What were some of your favorite ones that you thought you were just like, okay, I am 100% a fan of this one? or a few of them in particular?
1: I thought, well, I loved the Boneyard match. I thought what he did with that was fantastic. That was kind of old school, movie, gritty, dirty. I loved that. Um, uh, How they combined the two money in the the bank matches, ladder matches at the corporate headquarters, that was just, to me, desperation created some really good creative moments there. Out of pure desperation because of the COVID era that we're in, they really got together and came up with some really good stuff in that. But the John Cena, uh, Fiend, Firehouse, Fun Fly, what is it? Firefly Funhouse. Funhouse. (laughs) That was my favorite. When John Cena, when old school John Cena showed up in the shorts, the little tight skimpy shorts and the boots, I was I was popping. I was popping over and over. I watched that match like three times. I got on the phone with Bruce and uh, a couple other guys, Bruce Pritchard, and just telling him, man, fantastic job. You know, I was a big fan of that. You know, like I say, it has to be done in small doses, though. You know that's not what people watch pro wrestling to see. If they want to see that, they we run the risk of them watching other shows, you know, right. you watch pro wrestling for a specific thing. So, um, but I was a, I was a fan of all three of those, you know, and all, all the final deletion stuff that uh, Matt did in TNA. There's a couple he did in uh, um, WWE, like where Bray, and I know they tried to do something with Bray and Randy Orton back in the day. And, I wasn't a fan of those as much because it was like the production value was too high. Right. The and high I think that level, was the
0: general consensus too yeah. from the fans.
1: Yeah. It was like when you watch the Blair Witch Project back in the day, what made it work was how gritty and backyard it seemed. Uh, when they came out with part two and it's this big production value, nobody cared. So it, it just lost that hometown feel, uh, hometown appeal.
0: Exactly. Um,
1: but, uh, I know Matt's did a couple we did we did a couple uh that were aired only on the network uh the last one I actually got kidnapped on so I guess I'm just <laughs> never going to nobody's going to rescue me I'm just stuck in some basement somewhere I'm not sure what happened
0: you're like that's it from that's it for me there <laughs> you know so that's really cool um I did want to ask you also your thoughts on the stadium stampede that AEW did as well
1: oh that was really good there's some really good stuff there you know uh uh Adam Page coming in on that horse. That oh, that killed was awesome. Me. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> I was like, I need to know more about the horse. When the horse was off screen, I was like, okay, I need to know what happened to the horse. And even afterwards, I was like, I hope no one steals that horse. I thought that was going to happen for a second.
1: Yeah, I, was, I thought they did really good, especially in, you know what I'm saying, uh, in this era right now where you don't have the audience to give you that passion of guys just beating the hell out of each other you know how can we make this entertaining and i I thought they did a fantastic job with that one as well
0: and speaking of AEW, what are your thoughts on the current product and what they're doing and maybe some of your favorite talent
1: man i mean there's a lot of people that i like there and i think they're putting on a really good show i mean i think chris jericho is probably the biggest star in the business right now um Chris Jericho, Randy Orton are probably the biggest stars in the business right now. So uh, I really like it. You know, I'm glad that Matt's there doing some things. MJF is one of the best heels in the business. Um, their tag team division is just exploding. But between the FTR, the Young Bucks, Blade and the Butcher, uh, you got Private Party. Um, SCU is still there. They SCU and the FTR just had a fantastic match. Uh, their women's division is really, um, you know. They seem to have a good direction on where they're going. It it doesn't seem just all scattered like uh, some other divisions might seem. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I I think they're doing really good. They're doing really good. You know, Impact right now, uh, Impact was on a good run too, you know, especially uh, before the COVID era. But even while it's been going on, I think Impact's put out a really strong product. Uh, I think Ring of Honor, I haven't seen much, so uh, they're, they're, I feel like they've suffered the most during this, they've lost the most steam, they can get it back, of course, Uh, but I think, like I say, Impact's doing great, I look forward to Impact and AEW every single week, you know, and and NXT's doing good stuff, too, you know, they just had a really solid show this past, I don't know how soon your show airs, but um, this past Wednesday, they just had a really solid show, you know, they're women, they've got a lot of with men and women that are coming up at a development that are just what, what we consider development back in the day that are just really getting good. You know, Raquel Gonzalez, I believe. Oh
0: yeah. Uh, she's, she's, I can tell that every single week that she's on TV, they're, they're going somewhere with her.
1: Yeah. 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 She's good. Rhea Ripley's incredible. They, you know, uh, Cameron Grimes, who I actually managed in TNA, um, he's going to be a big star too. They, they, there's a lot of good stuff still out there in all companies.
0: And also, I want to go back to the fact that you mentioned that Chris Jericho and Randy Orton are some of the best guys right now. Um, obviously, Randy Orton has been working with Edge and everybody's been talking about the incredible uh, promos that they have been cutting. We uh, you know we just had the greatest wrestling match ever and all of that. So what do you think it is about, about the Edge-Randy Orton storyline that's really just driving, driving the interest from audiences?
1: because it's about emotion emotion is key if you don't have emotion then you're just going through the moves emotion over motion you know uh, and that's a hard lesson for a lot of guys to learn especially when your style is flippy and stuff like that um if you don't have that emotion if people don't care about you no matter how good of a wrestler you are you're not going to have a hook you know and a hook is what drives people in it's what brings people in it's what keeps them coming back you know so uh that match, that feud is is been about emotion, and that's the most important thing.
0: That's really awesome. And now, my last question for you is: What are some of your career bucket lists, some goals that you still want to accomplish? Uh, what's next for you?
1: I mean, I'm only you know I'm 45. I'll be 46 in uh, actually just a few weeks. Um, so I don't happy really early know. birthday. <laughs> no, thank you. Thank you. Um, I don't really know. I did. So much. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I might be greedy asking for more, but uh at the same time I'm still always doing things, you know. Um during this whole pandemic, you know, I, I started to deal with fight TV and I started the Twitch channel and I just I can't sit at home sitting on my ass all the time. I'm not that type of person. Uh so I really don't know if there's any like main long-term goal. I'm just gonna keep being who I am and put stuff out there. You know, as far as social media goes, I've been on it longer than anybody. You know, I was. Yeah, no, and you're
0: really funny too. I'm sure you've heard that already.
1: <laughs> when I do when I do signings now uh, at conventions, my fans talk to me more about the stuff I post than even my matches anymore. No, no way. <laughs> I don't even know if they know I wrestle anymore. You know, so. Uh, <laughs> Uh, definitely the most interactive probably overactive uh, guy just ever been on on the damn thing but um i enjoy it you know i have fun i think even when i'm blasting people and somebody think they think i'm mad i'm like dude i am rolling when i'm typing this you have no idea i just i get a fun i get a kick out of it but um you know, I guess just continue being who I am, you know, you got to find ways to make money coming in, you know, I do, like, like I said, I did good uh, financially in the business, but, you know, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not a Rockefeller, you know, you got to, right,
0: exactly.
1: you got to still have the money coming in, so I, I'll figure something out, you know, and of course, I'm just furloughed, so once the uh, live events start back up with WWE, the, uh, the goal is to, to bring me back there, so. That's what um, but, I was but, actually
0: wondering about too, because I wasn't too sure, like if you were going to resume your position or if it was just kind of touch and go.
1: You know, I mean, and I guess we'll have to see how well that company does. You know, like I say, it's really crazy time in the business right now. You know, when you got a company that uh, has financial, when you got stockholders, you know, breathing down your neck, you know, right. they're under a different umbrella than any other company is. So they, they have a lot more stress than any other company has right now. So um, we'll see hopefully things get right back to normal because you know I love the business and I want to be involved in progress and I will be no matter what Whether it's with WWE or some other company you know I, I definitely will be involved you know I would love to see Aaron Lucha I just ran into uh Jason Ron, oh Ron no, no Ron Harris and uh New Year's Eve I had to do an appearance at New Year's Eve with WWE so not just I ran into him six months ago I ran into him <laughs> and um, just I literally it was fake because I walked out of my hotel room and I see gigantic Ron Harris walking by and I'm going hey and he's like what are you doing here I'm like what are you doing here <laughs> no, just, uh, <laughs> so we uh we all uh you know we hooked got at least at least we had dinner together or something and, and uh, just kind of reconnected a little bit but I had fun with Errolucha I'll tell you a really funny my favorite story about Ara Lucha right now do you remember Vanilla Vargas
0: um a little bit
1: okay I didn't know her at all I just met her like uh, at one of the shows in Nashville and so the next day I'm going, I go down to the hotel. I, I need to catch the shuttle to the airport. I see her at the hotel desk and she's just got tears in her eyes. So she's missed her flight. Oh and, no. Or she has like 10 minutes to get to the uh, airport. Like the flight leaves in 10 minutes and uh, she doesn't speak uh, very much English at all. I speak very little Spanish, so. Oh. Uh, but I'm looking at her ticket, and she's she's just like, I, I can make, and I'm like, no, you no, know, you can't make this, and um, and she's man, and now I just see her eyes well up with tears, I'm like, oh my god, uh, and I I don't know her at all, I don't know her name, I don't know her real name, I didn't know her work name, I just knew <laughs> she was in the locker room the night before, and she needs help, and I was like, uh, and so it, it was Southwest Airlines, and I go, I'm going to the airport now, you you come, and she goes. And this is me trying to, you know how it is when you try to, when you try to communicate, you talk slow as if that does anything. Yeah, I don't know, as if it helps, I'm, yeah. I'm trying to, you come with me and whatever. <laughs> and so we go get on the shuttle. Uh, and like my flight actually was later. I just happened to be going early because I was hungry. That's the only reason I was going early. <laughs> Fat boy over here has got to eat. So I, that's the only reason I'm going early. And so we get to the airport. We're rushing. I take her up to the Southwest uh, counter. Uh, keep in mind, I'm not even flying Southwest. I'm on a different airline. Oh, really? And so uh, I said, stay here. So I go running check in real quick. She's talking to the Southwest lady, uh, come back. Then the Southwest lady speaks a little bit of Spanish, not much, but enough that she can figure out what's going on. She gets on a flight, but we got to make it to the gate. We got like 15 minutes that we need to be at that gate.
0: Oh my God. And I go, go, oh my
1: God. I said, okay, come with me. And we rush through security and we go to the thing. And uh, you know, whatever, and then we're rushing, we're rushing, and of course, you got to take a tram, you got the the lines backed up, it's all this and that, and we come running, running, running up to the gate, and uh, we're giving the ticket, and I'm sitting there, going, I'm blown sky high, I cannot <laughs> breathe anymore, and, I, and I'm and i giving the lady the ticket, so I'm like, get on the plane, and uh, she goes, are you getting on the plane? I'm like, no, and she goes, are you with her? I go, I don't even really know who it is. <laughs>
0: no! Oh, oh, my I said, God. I said, I'm
1: just here to help her. I was just trying to help her get on the plane. And they're like, do you need help? Because, I, like I said, I am so blown up because I was helping carry her bags and mine, run it through the airport. But we got her home because she's got to get back to uh, uh, Mexico, I guess. And But if she didn't make that flight, she was going to be stuck there for like 10 hours. That oh, was another God.
0: thing. God, that would have been a she pain. doesn't
1: make this when she's stuck, and then she's going to be there not speaking the language, and I didn't want that for her. But so we've been buddies on Instagram and Twitter ever since, you know, so That's
0: that was, my, really that was cool. my final
1: superhero moment with uh, Aaron Lucha.
0: There you go. Exactly. So like you, you live the character, help this woman out. <laughs> I,
1: did, I did that day for sure.
0: <laughs> That's really awesome. I know I miss Aaron Lucha too. I just, I like, I know their first few shows that they did. They had so much, so much talent there. Like it, it's unbelievable. And like most of those guys now are signed. But mm-hmm. I mean, I, I just thought that they had incredible, incredible potential. Um, but now we're gonna go ahead and move on to our lightning round portion of okay. the game, where I'm gonna ask you ten questions about yourself, and you can ask, answer them as fast as you want. Or you can give as much depth as you want. However, you feel you want to answer them. Um, so here we go. Are you guys ready for lightning round with Shame Helms? <laughs> yes. Let's do this. Uh, question number one: Were you Team Baxter Boys or In Sync?
1: Neither, I was team Run-DMC.
0: <laughs> Question number two, pineapple on pizza, yes or no? Yes. Question number three, Avengers or Justice League?
1: Oh, I'm both, but if we're talking about the cinematic universe, you gotta go with Avengers. What Marvel has done with their movies is absolutely incredible. Now, if you're talking about their books, it's neck and neck.
0: Question number four, worst superhero movie that you have ever seen?
1: Uh that last Birds of Prey movie was pretty rough um but my the worst one I liked was actually um the worst one I liked the worst one I went to that was a disappointment for me was Captain Marvel and I need to explain this my very first favorite character of all time was Captain Marvel now Captain Marvel became Captain Marvel and in the books you know uh, Carol Danvers becomes Captain Marvel but those are two different people, Marvell and Carol Danvers, but both of them were Captain Marvel. So, this movie is going to be about Carol Danvers, but there's a chance I get to see Captain Marvell. He's my first <laughs> favorite character since I was five years old. I have loved this character, and this is going to be my only chance to see him on the big screen. And they had Marvell being played by Annette Benning, which is the equivalent of Wonder Woman being played by Jack Nicholson. No. I'm not saying Jack Nicholson can't pull it off. I'm just saying <laughs> I wasn't ready for that. And I was just like, no. And I was so heartbroken in that little moment. Only because of my affection for that character for all my life.
0: I think your expectations were definitely on the opposite end.
1: <laughs> yeah. But there's been a couple of stinkers. the stinkers. The latest Fantastic Four, I just rewatched it to see if it was as bad as I remember. And it was um the green lantern which worked my heart that one was kind of a stinker you know so
0: oh then you're probably gonna hate me i love birds of prey <laughs> i was such a fan of one. it yeah well i, I went uh, to theaters to watch and i was like this is so cool blah 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 <laughs>
1: <laughs> have you watched uh have you watched the harley quinn animated series i have the, not
0: i have not so that was my first introduction into harley quinn because i i'm not that big on like the superhero world so like i know just like the basics that you know everybody knows like the the basic
1: stuff you gotta find that harley quinn animated series but here's the thing it's not for kids the the language the adult humor, it, <laughs> it blows your mind. Like, I, I wasn't ready, because I am not—I wasn't a big Harley Quinn fan, period. You know, I thought she was the worst part of Suicide Squad. I did like the Birds of Prey movie, but I was like, but I heard that this animated series was good. It's like, okay, I'll give it a shot. I was so hooked. It was so <laughs> funny. You know, she's such a, she's such a great character in, in that series.
0: Awesome, awesome. So, uh, question number five, best superhero TV show?
1: Uh, oh, uh, I'm going to go with The Watchmen because I watched every episode multiple times. It was such a uh, well thought out. It's an adult show. You know, um, a lot of people think superheroes, they, they literally think Mighty Mouse or Spider-Man and it's just for kids. And they've missed so many just fantastically uh, serious and adult, you know, uh, themed or adult, you know, you, you can't be dumb to understand The Watchmen. You're not going to get it. You know, you right. just aren't. So the Watchmen, uh, The Boys was incredible. If you haven't seen The Boys, I heard you good need stuff to-
0: about both those shows.
1: But it's dark. The Boys is dark. You gotta be, you gotta be prepared for that. You know? <laughs> um, but those, those are my top two. And I watched every episode on both of those series multiple times. That's how good it is. That's how good they both are.
0: Awesome. Question number six: Favorite thing to eat for breakfast.
1: Uh, Well, I'm on a fasting diet now, so uh, uh, intermittent fasting. I don't eat until 2 p.m. every day. Uh, But normally, that's uh, scrambled eggs with sliced pepperonis in them. Oh,
0: delicious. Question number seven, favorite movie theater snack?
1: Uh, Pizza. The theater I go to is one of those ones you can sit back in and they bring you food. Yeah, they bring you up, and they got waitresses that bring out food. And there's this little flatbread pizza, and I get it like 95% (laughs) of the time
0: you're like this is my go-to now
1: oh yeah that's why i couldn't hardly fit in that costume because of that movie theater
0: (laughs) question number eight if the hurricane would have turned heel which villain do you think he would emulate
1: uh well actually i started out as a heel um so uh i would have just been a darker version of myself you know that's all really all you got to do all the things you can't do uh as, as as a as a baby face or a hero you just do as a villain
0: Question number nine: What is your favorite flavor of cake?
1: Uh, pineapple cake.
0: And last question, question number ten: What is the most used app on your phone?
1: Probably Twitter.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I same, same. I don't blame you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Twitter, or Instagram, you know, or, or text. Yeah, I mean, my text app is probably my most used app because I don't call a lot of people, but I stay in touch with just about everybody, especially during this era. I was worried about a lot of people's mental uh, place, mental headspace uh, when we're all stuck at home. So I was literally sp- sending out texts all the time, you know, just making sure everybody's okay.
0: That's really, really great. Um, Shane, thank you so much for this interview. I love sort of going back on all of these memories and talking about current stuff and the lightning round game, all of it. I want to thank you so much. But before we go, um, feel free to plug any of your social medias or your Twitch or whatever you want.
1: I'll uh, well, so put my name there on the little screen. It's at Shane That's everything. Uh, Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook, even Tumblr. I still have one of them. So, uh, and now <laughs> Twitch. So um, I kind of make it easy for everybody because my website is ShaneHelms.com. That's how I do it.
0: There you go. Shane Helms, thank you so much. Everybody who watched this, thank you so much. Before you go, please do not forget to give this video a like and subscribe to the channel for more interviews just like this one. And until next time, I'm Denise Salcedo with Shane Helms, and we'll see you guys later. Bye, everyone.